Father, we, as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, I just pray that we'd come before your words with humble hearts and minds, open hearts and minds. I pray that we can just lay all things at your feet, any distractions, any burdens, any, anything, just lay it at your feet, Lord, that you'd speak into us, that by the hearing of your word and the obedience of your word, Lord, that you continue to transform us into the image of your Son in everything we say and everything we do and everything we think. So, Lord, continue to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. But we love you. We thank you for redemption and salvation in Jesus. We give you all the glory. So whatever's needed now, I pray that you would bring it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. James chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, James chapter 2 as we continue our series. So thankful for those super summer testimonies. Um, They talked about schools. If you don't know what that is, they break out the schools by age groups. So like juniors would be a school, sophomores would be a school, and then they break up into family groups in addition to that. Um, It's a great strong camp for equipping especially strong believers already and, and leaders, and uh, so super stoked about that. Um, the house was crowded, and people were shoulder to shoulder, and if you have claustrophobia, it was a kind of a situation that you did not want to be in, and so there they were in this house and packed to the brim, and all of a sudden, above them, there came dirt and dust and little bits of wood, light now shining in through the roof. Everybody's attention now drawn upward to this commotion. What's going on? What's happening? And then it got even more weird when they saw this man being dropped down through the ceiling on a mat. And the gospel writers tell us it was at this point that Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. You now stand justified before God. Your sins are forgiven. Now the gospel writers also tell us that as he was being dropped down through the roof of the house, and when Jesus said this, it came after Jesus saw their faith. He saw an external something that was a reflection of an internal something. And thus thus the man was justified before God. The question is, is how can you see faith? How can you see it? The gospel writers tell us after he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. How can you see the vitality, the the presence, the life, the heartbeat of faith? 
Now last week we looked at what James calls the sin of partiality, the first part of James chapter 2. And the word that he used there means to make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than another for whatever reason. To show favoritism, to be partial towards someone. James calls us to remember that believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, must not show favoritism. We also saw that throughout Scripture, the Lord justifies not by the external, but by the internal. As the Scriptures say, I, the Lord, I search the heart, the internal. I look not at what man looks at. I don't look at appearances. I look at the heart, God told Samuel. Luke 18 was an example that we saw. The Pharisee and the tax collector both come to the temple to pray. One is near, the other is far off. One is composed and collected. The other is a blubbering mess. Two contrasting external appearances. Yet also, Jesus reveals, two contrasting internal appearances. Which one went home justified before God? Not the Pharisee. Not the one who externally looked the part. It was the tax collector who externally looked anything but the part. Why he went home justified was because of his faith, his internal, his heart. It's clear throughout Scripture that God looks not at the external, but the internal when it comes to justification. But it's also clear throughout Scripture, as we saw, that humanity, we tend to do the opposite. We judge the the external as the only metric for evaluating or discerning the internal. So we look at things like, well, where did you go to school? What denomination are you from? What's your job? Who did you vote for? What's your church attendance? What's your position in the church? How much do you give? And so on. But the Lord looks through the curtain of the external and evaluates or examines, justifies a person based on the internal. Internal faith, internal disposition, internal belief, internal love for Him. They're the ones, James says, who are guaranteed the inheritance, who are blessed, who will go home justified. And as his followers, what James says to us is we are called to do the same. As Jesus said in John 7, we must stop judging by mere appearances. We must make a right judgment. Now this whole line of reasoning and argument in James chapter 2 brings up a potentially dangerous position thus far. And James knows it. See, we might hear last week's message, we might read the first part of James chapter 2 and all this talk about the internal and say, ah, yes, internally, I do have faith. But here's what we must hear. The kind of internal faith that James is talking about is the same kind of internal faith that Jesus was talking about. It's a faith that one can see. It's an internal faith that is externally visible, not invisible. It's a faith that is demonstrated. It's a faith that is a living faith. So listen to what he says, James chapter 2, verse 14. This is what he says. He said, listen, what good is it? My brothers and sisters, 
What good is it if someone claims, says they have faith, but has no works? What good is it if they say internally I have faith, yet externally there's nothing? Can such faith save them? We're talking salvation. We're talking justification. This is huge. Okay, James, well then what does that faith look like? Verse 15, suppose, here's this other kind of situation example, very similar to the one he had earlier on in chapter 2. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about it, about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? Good for what? What good is it when it comes to justification and salvation? Remember, we're talking salvation here. Justification, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, if it's not externally visible, it's dead. It's non-existent. There's no life in that person. But someone will say, well, you have faith. I have works. Whole swaths of people will say that today. Well, you have faith. I have works. James goes on to say, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You intellectually believe this. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They know it intellectually and emotionally. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence, external demonstration that faith without works is useless when it comes to justification and salvation? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous, considered righteous by who? By God. Was he not considered righteous by God for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? you see that his faith and his actions, they were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him by God as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction, you remember the battle of Jericho and everything. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without Works is dead, regardless of what people claim. So what is James saying? What is he ultimately getting at? Well, it's very clear. Verse 17, 
Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 20, faith without works is useless. Verse 24, we are righteous not by faith alone. Verse 26, faith without works is dead. But wait a minute. Haven't we been taught? Doesn't Paul argue that we are justified not by works, but by grace through faith alone? Is there a contradiction between Paul and James? No. As John Calvin said, listen, it is faith alone that justifies, yes. But faith that justifies, the faith that James is talking about, the faith that Jesus saw in that paralytic, that faith can never be alone. Let me explain. In our series in Ephesians last year, we broke down who God is, his attributes, his characteristics. We saw that God is love, he is just, he's righteous, he's holy, he's all-knowing, and so on. We also saw that there is one God, even James affirms that here. There's one God. But what we see in the totality of Scripture is that God is triune, he is trinity, meaning he is three in one. This is crucial. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three separate, distinct persons from each other, yet one with each other. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, and so on. They are three separate, distinct persons from each other, yet one with each other. And as Jesus himself said in John 4, God is spirit. Meaning God the Father is spirit. God the Son is spirit. God the Holy Spirit is spirit. Yet 2,000 years ago, what we celebrate at Christmas, what we proclaim about Jesus, is that the second person of the Trinity, as John would say in John 1, took on flesh. He became a human person. He took on the physical, being born in the likeness of men, as Paul would say. And Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, we see that he is the fullness of deity in human form. He is the exact imprint of God's very nature, his character. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We were created by him and for him. And Jesus, even though he was tempted in every respect that you and I are tempted, he was without sin. And he lived, and he died publicly, and he came back from the dead bodily resurrected from the dead, raised imperishable, raised with immortality, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, not as a dream or hallucination. He came back from the dead, the first fruits from the dead. He has victory over death. And then we read, after he spent 40 days proving to them that he had come back from the dead, he ascended back to where he came from, back to his world. He's not in a galaxy next door. He literally left this reality to go back to heaven. He ascended. He left. But he sent one in his place. 
And that one is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, who is not an it, it is a person, the Holy Spirit of God. And what we see in the New Testament is that those who receive Jesus as Lord and King and Savior of their lives, those who believe in Him, they receive the Holy Spirit of God, who comes and lives in them. They go from death to life, darkness to light. They are born again, born, as John would say, born of God. They become partakers of the divine nature. They have fellowship in him and with him. He and us, us and him, as Jesus said. It's no longer we who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us. We are marked. We belong to him. We are adopted. It's finished. It's settled. It's done. We now have this new identity. We're a new creation. Therefore, we are his. Nothing or no one can snatch us from his hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are saved by grace. We sustain by grace. Now the question is, is how do I enter that grace? How do I personally enter that transformation? Do I invite him into my heart? As one person said, no, it's not your party. He does the invitation. He sends out the calling. He calls you to surrender, to follow, to deny self, pick up your cross and follow him. He's the one that tells you to stop disbelieving and believe. And you do that by faith. Faith. Genuine, authentic faith. As one commentator said, listen, faith is a key doctrine in the Christian life. As we see in Ephesians 2, the sinner is saved by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, the believer must walk by faith. Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. Warren Wiersbe even says, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. But what in the world is faith then? What exactly is it? Faith, as the scriptures say, Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. So think about those in Jerusalem on Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. They heard about Jesus. They heard Peter's sermon. They heard who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection, everything I just told you. And God then invites them to repent and believe, to place faith in this message in Jesus. And they received, 3,000 of them received that invitation in faith, by faith, full conviction and assurance that yes, they're sinners. Yes, they're dead in sin. Yes, that Jesus is God who came to save them and radically transform them if they just believe, if they just follow him no matter what. And that faith Because it was authentic and true and genuine, it brought the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God into their lives. Because genuine, authentic faith in Jesus will always bring the third person of the Trinity to come and live inside of us. This is what's so radical about the gospel of Jesus. That God himself would live inside us. That's the promise of Jesus. 
So us too, if we receive the message with full conviction by faith, then we will become members of Jesus' body, the church. We will join the fellowship. We will become partakers of the divine nature. We will be born again of God. We'll become a child, a son or daughter. We will be one who has the Holy Spirit of God in us. We will become alive. As John said in 1 John 5, those with Jesus have life. Those without him do not have life. So where there is the Holy Spirit, there is life. And where there is life, there is works, is what James is arguing. So you have faith, which brings the Spirit. The Spirit always brings works. They work together, James would say. As another commentator said, whether genuine faith, Wherever genuine faith is present, it works. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. Another commentator said, listen, the vitality of our faith is proven by our works. It becomes externally visible. It's why James said, listen, I will show you, I will demonstrate for you my faith, my internal faith by my works by my external actions. And he brings up Abraham and Rahab, two completely different people in history. You have the father of the Israelites, and then you have Rahab, who's a non-Israelite, and who's a prostitute. Yet both of them, before God, were justified, declared righteous, Why? Because of their internal faith that was externally demonstrated, visible. As is true of all believers. True believers don't just defend their faith, that's what they do, but they also demonstrate it. You'll know them by their fruit. So listen, genuine, authentic faith, what James is arguing, will always bring the Holy Spirit of God into one's life. And where there is the Holy Spirit, there's life. Where there's life, there is works. Jesus used the analogy of a a vine and the branches. Those who abide in him, those who are in him, those who are connected to him, what? They'll bear fruit. Just like a branch connected to the tree bears fruit. You cut it away, if it's without the vine then it bears no fruit. It's dead. It's useless. So if we want to know if we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, if we want to know if our faith is genuine and authentic, all we have to do is look at our lives. Look at how we live. Look at how we speak. Look at how we act and react. Look at our works. Specifically, in relation to each other, How you treat a brother or sister in Christ. John would say, listen, if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. So we look at our lives. Because where there is true faith, there is works. Let me explain it to you like this. Imagine you hop into the car and you're going to, um, on vacation. And you're going to a destination that you've never been before. What do most of us do, nowadays at least, we pull out our phones or we get to that GPS in the car and we plug in the destination, right? Why do we do that? 
Well, because we believe that that device is going to help us get from point A to point B. We trust it. We have faith in it. And then what comes next is as we begin to drive, we begin to receive commands from this device. Turn left. Merge onto the highway. Exit here. Turn right. And then what do we begin to do? We begin to obey those commands. Why? Because again, we have faith in the device. If it tells me to turn left, I should turn left. If it tells me to turn right, I should turn right. I trust that it's going to get me from point A to point B. Our faith in the device produces works. It produces obedience. Now let's say someone in the back seat is watching you, and they hear the device say, hey, take a left, and they see you take a right. They might then conclude, well, what, do you not trust the device? Do you not trust the GPS? Why are you doing that? They might conclude that you lack faith in the device. You don't trust it. Because genuine, authentic faith always produces works. Where there is faith, there is the Spirit. And where there is the Spirit, there is life. Where there is life, there is works of the Spirit. So the question is, is do we have a living faith? Salvation is on the line. Justification is on the line here. Do we have a living faith? Is it externally visible and demonstrated? Can can the people next to us actually see it and hear it? Or is it externally invisible? We defend it with vigor. But we can't demonstrate it with anything. Do you have a living faith or a dead faith? Are you alive or dead? True faith brings true life. True life brings true fruit. But there's another element to this that I want to kind of close on with this message And I want to bring up that element by asking a simple question. Are you living by faith? Or are you living by sight? Someone recently said, listen, you can have faith or you can have control. You can't have both. And the person brings up a good point, a timely point, because for some of us, maybe God is trying to get us to stop seizing control. To stop declaring or falsely believing we have control. Maybe he's trying to get us to deny self, to let go, to surrender, to walk by faith. Just as Abraham did. Just as Rahab did. Putting their very lives on the line. And after all, the author of Hebrews says, again, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Without faith, we cannot please God because simply drawing close to Him, simply receiving the invitation to follow Him, sincerely seeking Him with your whole life requires faith. As another person said, faith is the foundation, it's the source of your belief in God internally. But it's also the foundation, the source for your movement for God. Meaning, as James will say, I can evaluate your life and your works, what you say, what you do, what you think, what you don't say, or what you don't do or think, and determine 
whether you have sincere faith or insincere faith. Again, just like Abraham and just like Rahab. And by the way, just like them, God will intentionally test those works. He will put you into a position that requires either choosing control or choosing faith to see if you're living by sight or living by faith. So what ends up happening is too many of us end up talking a lot about faith. But so many falsely believe we're living by faith when in reality we're living by sight and we possess an insincere faith. Therefore, so many are not pleasing God. And it's time for that to change. As Paul said, listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. But the walk is the external demonstration of the internal faith. So receive the message of Jesus in faith. And then to follow him into the unknown, obeying every step and command, knowing and trusting and believing and having faith that he will get us from point A to point B requires faith. A faith that you can see. A faith that is externally visible. So may we, every one of us, be a people who can say, I will show you my faith by my works. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward as we enter this time of invitation. There might be a couple of us, different groups in this room here today, some of us who have been walking by sight our entire lives, trying to figure out the truth of life, trying to solve our problems, trying to save ourselves. You cannot. You're saved by grace through faith. It's only when you place faith in Jesus. It's only when you repent and believe. It's only when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that you would be saved. You cannot save yourself. So for some of us in this room, he is calling us to receive the invitation, Jesus is Lord of our lives by faith and in faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And for some of us others, we're in Christ, we belong to Christ. But if we think about the life of Abraham and the life of Rahab and these moments of decision, we might argue, or if we're being real with ourselves, man, I haven't been walking by faith. I've been trying to walk by sight, to seize control. He's calling you to put everything on the altar, to put your life on the line, and trust him. To get you from point A to point B. And may our prayer just be, Lord, give me the kind of faith that is externally visible, demonstrated in and through my works towards my brothers and sisters for your glory. Even as I pray, whatever decision the Lord has placed on your heart, be obedient to that prompting. Father, we come to you. 
We thank you for salvation in Jesus. We thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead, hopeless. We thank you for the light of the world. We thank you for the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for your only begotten son, the only human being ever who is of the same nature, God, the fullness of deity in human form. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for salvation in Jesus, the hope and new life that we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room has genuine, authentic, true faith in you. A kind of faith that you can see that's externally visible through works. You said apart from you we can do nothing. But those of us who abide in you, those of us who reside in you, who possess the Holy Spirit of God in you, in us, will produce fruit. And by this we will prove We will demonstrate for the world that we belong to you. So test our fruit here today. Test our hearts. Test our faith as you did Abraham, as you did Rahab. Teach us to walk by faith, not by sight. In Christ's name I pray. And I ask that you stand with us. Whatever your decision is, I'll be down here at the front. You come talk.